Hello, everyone. This week, we are going to talk about the age-old topic of aging. I know, another bad joke. But seriously, <laughs> let's dive in and talk about aging wine. So, Haley, let's start by defining what we mean by aging. Maybe wine aging, in the barrel, in the bottle. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. We talk about wine aging in lots of different um, instances. So any kind of wine aging is wine that you're allowing to get older. So that can be in the barrel or in the bottle, um, in a tank, um, in an amphora, uh, any kind of vessel that's holding the wine and allowing it to age. I think, I think most people think of it as the bottle, like when they think about aging. Yeah, most consumers think about it when they buy a bottle of wine and then they age it on their cellar rack or in their cellar. But in a winery setting, most of the time, you're talking about wine aging in barrel or in tank um, or mm-hmm. in another large vessel that you're managing. Um, so... Basically, I think the rest of the conversation today will be about talking about that wine aging in barrel or in tank in those larger vessels. And if there are times that we'll talk about um, stuff in bottle, I'll kind of try to call it out as, but this is different in bottle, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But basically, yeah, talking about in barrel mostly, sometimes tanks and other large vessels. Yeah, and I think we'll have a whole nother episode on bottle aging, which there's another term for that that I'm... Cellaring? Yeah. Maybe? Cellaring? Yeah. Cellaring. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you are monitoring wine, um, aging in barrel or bottle, um, what are the things that you are monitoring? This is a really important step that uh, sometimes it's confusing as a consumer getting into wine or someone that isn't um, in the, hasn't worked in a cellar making wine uh, very often or very much, this is a confusing thing. So when you start making wine, you're monitoring it while it's in fermentation, you're monitoring it every day, multiple times a day. And then once it's done with fermentation and it starts, quote, aging, there's, you know, We talk a lot about the different steps that it takes to get there. So um, if you need to go back and revisit some of our past um, episodes, feel free to. But um, we're going to jump right into aging. Once you get to aging, you don't have to check it every day. uh, But you do need to be checking your wine. You don't want to just put something in a barrel, set it in a room by itself, walk away for two years, and then expect to be able to come back to it and bottle it and have it be a fantastic wine. In <laughs> uh, in an ideal world, yeah, that would be hopefully what happens. But most likely, um, you're going to have a couple things that uh, you want to monitor and definitely even work with the wine. So the one thing that uh, people know about if they've been on a couple wine tours is topping barrels. And that's going to be the biggest thing that you do while your wine is aging to keep it safe. Um, So that's not necessarily monitoring wine, but it's working with the wine. And every time you're topping, hopefully you're monitoring that barrel. Hopefully you're using your eyes, your nose, (laughs) other things, (laughs) like even your ears to some extent. Sometimes you pop open a bung and it makes a weird noise, whether it's um, like it's popping open like 
oh, there might be some fermentation still going on in here. Yeah. That bung wanted to pop out. Or uh-huh. um, you can kind of hear like crackling going on, like it's still fermenting. Um, so that can be a fermentation that is wanted or or safe, like an alcoholic fermentation that's finishing up, or maybe even a malolactic fermentation, or it can be a spoilage organism organism that is causing a fermenta- a fermenting atmosphere. But the big things that you want to do for monitoring mm-hmm. uh, when you're um, dealing with wine that's in barrel, and each winemaker has a different idea of how often to do these things. But I would say most winemakers that are aging their wine for more than a couple months in barrel or in tank are, are taking samples of that wine and they're testing things like pH, sulfur levels, and maybe occasionally other things. So if you have a wine that starts tasting a little weird or, or it's like the bung is popping every month, um, you might say, oh, uh, something is going on here. We want to run a panel and see if, if we need to work with this wine and maybe uh, make sure it's not fermenting. Uh, but the big things are pH and free and total sulfurs. Um, yeah. Cool. So how are you monitoring these things? You kind of started bringing up, I think, a couple of these these things in here. Yeah. The monitoring, um, so first you need to take a sample. Sometimes, uh, again, this comes comes into kind of your bandwidth as a winery and a cellar team. How many samples are you going to take and how often? Is it going to be each individual barrel? Is it going to be a lot uh representative sample? Is it going to be a a blend of each barrel in the lot? Um, And then you're going to, once you take those samples, you're going to run them. Sometimes you might send them out to a professional lab that um, is an industry kind of standard lab, or you might run them in-house. Some people run pHs. Um, Basically, at this point in, in the wine aging, you should know what your wine pH is at this point. But it's just making sure you don't have any spikes or drops in that pH. So you, so that would indicate maybe um, something is going on, like the wrong additive was used or um, uh, something of that nature. So um, some people even just use pH test strips um, and they just vary um, if, if they don't want to send every single barrel off to their the lab that's kind of spendy. But a lot of people will pull in those samples do a pH with a, a titrated um, electrode, and then also run free and total sulfurs with that titrated electrode. And there's uh, a couple ways to do that. And those things are all just kind of telling you how that aging process is going, if the wine is developing in the way that you want it to, in terms of those free and and total while you're taking and the yeah, pH. yeah, and while you're taking those samples, you should definitely be tasting all these wines because the first mm-hmm. thing that's going to indicate you have a problem or you need to maybe you don't have a problem, but something is aging differently than you expected, you're probably mm-hmm. going to be able to pick up on that. Um, with your palate if you're tasting wines consistently. Um, and smelling them. And yeah, smelling, and smelling the barrels them. probably too. Completely. The, the vessels yes. that they're in as well. Yes. Um, I, yeah, and how you were saying the the frequency that you do this is kind of dependent on the individual winemaker or mm-hmm. is there kind of a pretty regular schedule? Like is it more like you doing it more at the beginning and then teetering off or what's I the think, general thing that people do? I think um, it's definitely based on a, a winemaker's preference. 
and mm-hmm. the ability of that winemaking team. So if you only have two people working in your cellar, but you're making 10,000 cases of wine, um, yeah. you might not be doing it very often because you just don't yeah. have the bandwidth to pull samples and do things and uh, while getting all the other, other stuff done. Or it might be a super high priority for you. You think, okay, testing and monitoring our wines while they're aging is actually more important than doing the other day-to-day things. So we're going to do it every five weeks, six weeks. Um, And I'm assuming if something comes up, you're like, okay, I need to test a little bit more frequently or whatever if if you're seeing some sort of issue. That's true. I think um, different winemakers uh, also... They, they learn their lots as as they're going. So I think mm-hmm. winemakers, as they start working with wine, probably test it more often. And then as they see how that wine ages or reacts to different things, how prone it is to spoilage, things like that, then they, they know what to expect. They know up front how to handle some of those problems, and they don't mm-hmm. worry about testing as often. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, I have... Oh, sorry. No, go for it. I have so many questions. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) keep shooting them off. Um, So are different, I mean, I know that you only work with a certain varietals, but do different varietals kind of have different aging times in general in barrel? Yeah, definitely. So let's just think about whites and reds to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Whites, typically, you typically, (laughs) we'll get somebody that's like, that's not true. Uh, typically, you're going to make whites and bottle them pretty quickly. Even if you're doing a barrel aging, you're going to get them into bottle relatively quickly within six months of of picking them or um, starting their primary fermentation. Okay. Um, I would say six months is pretty common. Um, and then reds maybe are more like 12 to 18 months would probably be a pretty common time frame um, up to... As there are some places that age their wines in barrel for a really long time. Okay. But um, varietals can change that time f- timeline as well. So some varietals are more um, have developed more to be enjoyed young. Others are made in, in styles that uh, you want to age longer and integrate like the barrel tannins and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it just depends on the winemaking style and yeah, your uh, also like glass availability. There's also the, all the logistics side of winemaking that also comes into play. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think of too, like maybe even like, oh, I need these barrels for something else. So Completely. we're just going to move them along so that yeah. I can start something else. You'll uh-huh. see um, in, the, in, the, in the Willamette Valley and Walla Walla, I mean, I don't have as much uh, experience in the Willamette Valley, so I'm kind of putting some... Uh, my assumptions out there. I would assume that the bottling lines that you can rent, um, mm-hmm. that like just there are these and these big trucks that just show up and they park and they help you bottle for a couple of days and you pay They're them. Amazing. Yeah, you pay them based on how many cases you bottle, basically. And I would say their busiest months are probably June, July, and August, getting ready for harvest. People are like, okay. We're ready to bottle all of our vintage from two years ago because mm-hmm. we need all those barrels for this year's vintage. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want those barrels to sit empty longer than necessary. So yeah. July especially is a r- very big bottling month um, in my experience. And then that the, makes sense. From the what other I've seen too. Yeah. And then the other bottling months that I have uh, experienced being kind of a heavy bottling months would be February. So January, February, March, um, getting whites in bottle, 
so that then they're ready to sell a month or two later when you do your spring release for a wine club or a wine label. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So back to monitoring. Yeah. Um, what are some other cool technologies that people are using for monitoring? There's a couple, yeah, there's a couple different methods that people, uh, that have been developed to monitor free and total sulfurs. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, uh, so there's the Ripper method, which basically, um, I think it, it, I have to go back to my, my uh, chemistry notebook, but I'm pretty sure what it does is it has a set point. um, So you're kind of, you're getting a wine you're monitoring it and you use both you can use both an electrode to monitor that set point and also uh, a visual indicator okay. um, and these are so free and total sulfurs if you guys want to learn more about free total molecular sulfur pH all that stuff um, let us know and we can do a whole separate episode about it because it's a lot and I'm not going to get into all of it here mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, so when you're um, monitoring, the cool new stuff is mostly electrode-based and mm-hmm. um, enzyme-based. So oh. there's some new stuff where you buy like a whole kit of enzymes and then um, you can kind of, you can put it into a machine and then you walk away and the machine just does all the work. It runs all the samples. And as long as you've done a good job of putting the samples in where you said you put them in, it gives you accurate results on several different tests at a time or um a couple hundred lots of wine, which when I was running samples, um, a lot of samples, it was mostly with the ripper method for sulfurs. um, And you had to sit there with the little, even an automated machine, you still had to like run each sample, make sure the machine was calibrated correctly. If you did more than 50 samples, recalibrate, all that kind of stuff. So um, it was several days, a month of just running samples. <laughs> but yeah. th- now there's new technology where you can, it's fully automated and it's enzymatic. So supposedly it's a little more um, accurate. Mm-hmm. And you just set it in the machine and you walk away and then you come back a couple hours later and it's got your results and you make sure nothing looks crazy out of place and move on. <laughs> nice. I kind of think of like I do water quality sampling, yeah. and so I kind of think it's it actually sounds more more intense than my water quality sampling, but similar. Like you know, there's the different options of like sending it to a lab and whatever yeah. else. But Completely. Um, there's there's uh, at least with water quality sampling, and it sounds like with wine too. It's just like there are some simple methods where you can just kind of like poke something in and get a quick reading off of it. Yeah. But then if you want that more intensive, like hey, what's, you know, the, you know, different bacteria right. in here or whatever. Like well, it you, depends the, on what you're testing too, right? Yeah. Like with water, you probably occasionally test pH just to make sure like nothing crazy is there. And that's a good initial indicator if there yeah. is something weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, the same with wine. And then, um, yeah, it totally depends on what you're testing. Free and total sulfurs are pretty standard. So they, like the... The big companies that create all this lab stuff have decided to put invest money into making it easy to run free and total sulfurs. But some of the other stuff that we don't run very often is yeah. not uh, uh, as easy to do on your own because it's complicated and it's not common. Yeah. yeah. So know when you can do things in-house and when it's best to send it out to yeah. the labs to do that. Okay. Definitely. Um, okay, I'm not sure where to go from here, Haley. What's the, what's the <laughs> next? What's the next question? <laughs> well, I well, I was kind of wondering. I mean, when we started talking about this, we were trying mm-hmm. to decide which direction to take it. 
And I was mm-hmm. wondering what kind of wine aging Vincent does because we ha- have had him on to talk about wines. And yeah, basically what kind oh, no. of monitoring <laughs> he's doing. Is it all? Because some people don't do any testing. Um, some people just do it by sight and smell and taste. Um, yeah. I am not going to speak to that too much because I was really (laughs) there for only a short period of harvest. And I do know that there was some like the pH testing and some like in-house testing that we did um, during the fermentation process um, because that's really where I was. I know that I did help him like maybe one day, maybe two of like, oh, hey, there's some stuff in the barrel that I'm kind of looking at. But I wasn't really part of that process as much. So yeah, <clears throat> I don't feel like I can speak fully to that. But um, I will say that I do think you're right in just, you know, different winemakers' processes and like how much they touch the wine. And um, when you were talking earlier, I was just having memories of our conversation with Vincent where he was like, don't fear the wine, you know, get good stuff, you know, know your processes. But I think he also like does rely on testing to some degree, but I'm not going to speak, you know, too much about it because I'm not so sure. Oh, that's totally fair. um, So in general, like why does monitoring wine, you know, in this you know, way matter and like, you know, what you kind of talked about it a little bit with like um, different spoilage organisms and stuff, but like how does, you know, monitoring it matter and and where Mm -hmm. are we going with that? So I think that monitoring wines uh, is really important. Like I said, especially for someone who's new to the industry, even just Mm -hmm. tasting wine in its different stages is really important. Um, I had a experience early on in winemaking where I was like, oh no, do I not like wine? <laughs> because oh. uh, we were tasting all these wines that were, had been aging for like three months. So we were just, mm-hmm. it was just a monitoring tasting. And I was just like, none of these taste good. Not, they don't taste bad. They don't taste like there's a spoilage problem, but like they all just taste bleh. Like nothing yeah. is good and nothing is uh, like shouting out to me, like, this is such a delicious wine. And then, um, you know, you, then I would go back to the finished product and be like, well, but this is good. Like maybe it's just this vintage that I don't like. Maybe it's both, but it's being able to taste those wines in the different stages and realizing Mm -hmm. that wines taste differently (laughs) in each stage. And sometimes those stages, um, you know, like, there's something that winemakers call the dumb phase uh, mm-hmm. with especially uh, wines that are aging and sometimes that are, that have been bottled. They kind of go through this phase of uh, not bottle shock, but something similar where they just don't have a lot of flavor. They don't taste that great. They just are very, the mouthfeel isn't awesome. And it's part of the wine kind of equilibrating after being moved or or, um, sitting in a barrel and then you take it out and it sees oxygen for the first time in a while. Or, you know, I I don't know that there's a ton of research on what the dumb phase is even or if people agree on what it is. But um, if you're tasting a bunch of wines that are in their dumb phase, you might think, oh, no, something horrible has happened and we need to change everything. But like Vincent said, sometimes you just have to trust the process, trust the wine and um, let it do what it's going to do and and be on its time frame rather than your own time frame. 
I like that. That's really nice. That's almost a good way to like wrap it up in some <laughs> ways. Um, so yeah, Haley, I guess with that, is there anything else you wanted to bring up with the wine well, aging I was curious, process? Well, from your perspective, because you're mm-hmm. kind of an outsider in this. Um, yeah, 100%. But you also do a lot of <laughs> testing and monitoring of other things, like like chemical testing and monitoring. So is there anything that surprised you or or... Was it, does it like make sense? Uh, Do you feel like? No, I think it all makes sense. And it's really because of, um, I mean, I definitely am more of like wildlife biologist type of thing. So my, my monitorings tends to be a little different, but I have done enough like water quality sampling, like I said earlier. So this all makes sense to me in terms of like, how the fermentation process, even, you know, once you get past that like main step of fermentation and then you put it into barrel, like just, you know, continually monitoring those things because things are going to be changing. That all makes a lot of sense to me and how like you're saying like there could just be this point. Um, And I think there's a lot of other like chemical processes where you see that point, like let's go to the baking bread analogy. Like you kind of (laughs) have that like, okay, there's that initial fermentation. It's like getting all crazy and bubbling and whatever. And then like you said, there's kind of this lull of like, uh, and you just kind of have to be like, trust that process and then, and keep kind of, you know, monitoring it. And maybe you're like, oh, hey, something is going a little off here and then, you know, kind of tweak it. But using those techniques of just knowing what it is uh, that you need is really important. And like you said, I really thought that was a great point about um, that as you're tasting wine, when you're new to the process, like I could see me coming in and being like, what is going on here? (laughs) I do not understand. This is awful. Um, But... As you, I think with any trade and thing that you do, as you learn it, you'll learn like, oh, hey, no, this is just that one stage where it doesn't taste as good at this point, but, you know. Before the burger has been assembled or something. I don't know what the analogy is there first that makes sense to a lot of people. Yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes sense to me. So um, I like that. And it's cool to think about because, you know, when you originally brought this topic too, you know, my first thought is like cellaring wine and how important that is. But it is interesting to know from the consumer perspective too that, hey, there's this other whole like aging process that happens beforehand yeah, um, and how that can taste, you know, change those taste profiles so much, like you said, of like how much time is it in barrel, like how that whole process impacts the flavor of the wine. Yeah. Um, and so then, and I also like the the comparison or the, in my mind, I was thinking how cellaring wine, like wines are white wines. Typically you don't cellar as long as red wines. And you were kind of saying that's the same in the barrel process too. Yeah. I mean, there's exceptions to the rule, but in general, that was cool to see that whole comparison as well. Yeah, definitely. So, Something um, that I, I just thought about because you were talking about technology and testing. Um, there's some really cool new technology and it's pretty expensive, but um, where you literally can like put a probe in a tank and then it's connected via Wi-Fi or whatever to your uh, all your software, and it monitors certain things like dissolved oxygen, pH, um, probably a titratable acidity to some degree. 
things like that. And you just like, it's just sitting in tank. So you don't yeah. have to do anything to it other than when your tank is empty, you know, you take the probe out and wash it and make sure it's yeah. good. But, um, but that's kind of a cool new technology as well where you don't even have to, and you can't do everything from those. You have to still pull samples to test other things that need to mm-hmm. be t- um, like titrations. But some, like being able to just stick some, a probe in there and yeah. be like, go to town. We'll just have a continuous pH monitor. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like in our fermentation episode where you were saying like how important oxygen is and mm-hmm. pH and all these different things. So it makes sense that those are all the things that you're going to be monitoring in the aging process as well. So cool. Okay, anything else? I don't think or- so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Let us know what kind of monitoring and aging you guys do, um, especially uh, if we didn't hit on something. There's always things that we're learning, and it's great to learn what other people are doing in the wine industry to um, make great wine. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. You can always write to us about those winemaking processes or any questions, and we'd love to talk about it on the podcast at Whole Cluster Conversation at gmail.com or on social media at Whole Cluster Conversation. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.